Loyal Talking Cod listeners, this is Andy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this extra special episode of Talking Cod, which is cleverly called Blabber Gold. Nice work, Phil. We absolutely love recording this season three, and along with some brilliant guests, we tackled some really difficult conversations, but had some genuine belly laughs too. Whack, whack, oops. We'd love to hear what your favourite parts were, and look out for season four, which is coming soon. Dave, what's happened? You've grown <laughs> hair and you've changed your accent. What's happening? Who is this stranger I see before me? <laughs> Phil, is this me or yours? Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Introduce uh, us. Well, this is this is a, a Jindy man um, who I know, well, I've known for a couple of years and we have a very good mutual friend. A uh, big shout out to uh, Mr. Paul Collins. Jindy ha- has got a really interesting story and I'm not going to spoil it by trying to surmise it in a couple of words but needless to say he's worked as a consultant in large organizations like huge multinational businesses and he's current uh in, working in startups and all sorts of things but currently he's kind of working around his i guess his his, his mission in life which which is around helping people and individuals to understand themselves in a leadership context rather than you know um, an ideal of how leadership might look so anyway that jindy man the company is the selfish leader and uh, as i said last week uh, he has a fantastic email so if you're not already signed up you get yourself onto that later my mate Dan listens to this on a regular basis. When I had my breakdown, the first person I, I went to literally walked across Manchester and then just gave him a call and went, are you in? And he went, yeah, I'm in work. So just come down. And I just let everything out. And he's the only person I felt I could speak with at that time because I just didn't even know what he said, what's up? And I don't know. And, and then all this stuff came out. I don't even know what I said. And I felt like I was burdening him. And he went, no, it's great. It's, it's brilliant that you see me as such a good friend that you can share this with me. There's a psychotherapist called um, Jerry Hyde. There's a great documentary about his work. He's been running men's groups for, I think, um, almost 30 years. And when, when I read an interview with him and he was asked, what's masculinity about? What it, what is, how do you define masculinity? And he immediately said, tenderness. Wow. Wouldn't have expected that. No, yeah, right? And never. But if, you, if, if you interrogate that idea, I mean, there's another, there's another guy, who's, um, a guy called Sebastian Junger. I don't know if you've read any of his work, but he's a war correspondent and he's done lots of work around groups and tribes and connection. If you look at groups of what we might think of as ultra-masculine guys like soldiers or firemen or whatever it might be, when you really observe a tight group of them, they're tender with each other. They're really, really tender and close and connected to each other. And it can be kind of disguised by all this macho stuff on the top i've gone through times in my life I've, i wasn't brought up in with religion you know and i think that's the fundamental difference between me and me and me and my wife i wasn't brought up with religion so it was kind of part of school and i remember doing the christmas playing my guitar at the christmas shows in the churches and all that kind of thing and it, it, these were day, days where you know the the, the 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 assembly in the morning would be carol um, hymns. Sorry, there would be carols at Christmas, obviously. But it, from a family perspective, it wasn't it wasn't something we did uh, uh, in any on any side. My mum, my dad, you know, their parents, or, or what have you. And so there's been times in my life where I've kind of thought of myself. I would describe myself. I would identify perhaps as an atheist. But not with any great thought to that. On reflection now, I was thinking I went for a walk earlier to just kind of unpick this in my head. I probably just think of myself as a as a Christian. I'm probably a lapsed Christian. I, I don't, you know, it's always been present in my life. In my more rebellious years, I probably would have been, gosh, I don't believe that, you know, that's not for me. As I get slightly older in life i realized well you know it is there you know in one way or another i I just i'm not like immersed in it i just it'd be interesting to see what dave and andy thinks i know they've got sort of that they're if i'm somewhere in in the middle i think dave and andy are on sort of not polar (laughs) opposites but you know their their perspective is different again go on dave Tell us more about your, your viewpoint. I mean, the first thing I say with regards to belief, I think people, everybody's like, believe in whatever works for you. Absolutely, whatever that is. You know, as long as you're not 
pushing that on somebody or 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 you're harming anybody, then it's like an opinion. An opinion's an opinion, isn't it? From, from that perspective. So, you know, I've got my wife is Catholic. Uh, the kids went to a Catholic uh, primary school. They did the the confirmation, all of that. You know, I'm not. You know, but I was there, and 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 and, and I support that. That's what that's what my wife believes. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Kids are the kids, you know. I think they're maybe a bit like you, Phil. Maybe they drift in and out. They're young. Maybe they're just, you know, forming their own opinions still, which they probably are. And I probably sit at the opposite end with regards to religion or or believing in a particular god, whoever that god is. I I don't. However, I do believe that I do believe in when we talk about the spiritual side of it, as in a spirit or something is is something that we sort of I define it as what we have within us, you know. I went to Boys Brigade by choice. I wasn't forced into it. Um, I then went to a Baptist church as a teenager. Loved it. And it wasn't one of those crazy Baptist churches that hate everyone. It was a very inclusive Baptist church, by the way. It wasn't one of those who got on the news recently. My kids went to Denshaw Church, a little village community church. Absolutely loved it. I learned so much about myself and lives and communities in that in that village, which is fantastic. And the more recently started going to Impact Community Church as well, which is a more modern twist on Christianity, if you like. And it's a more upbeat, vocal, happy clapping kind of singing songs, playing guitars, playing drums and stuff. Again, Christian in a, in a very Christian way, but a completely different way of celebrating as well. I'd say that my faith, just like yourself, Dave, is like I believe in a lot of things. First and foremost, I believe in people. And I believe that we didn't yeah, just nice. happen by a big bang. I think we just something's happened beyond our comprehension and just like gravity i'm not going to question it i'm just going to be grateful for it that's all i'm bothered about <laughs> yeah, i probably i'm probably less christian than i used to be but i still have i probably have a lot more faith than i've ever had just because i wear a dog collar and i'm a, I'm a vicar and i run a church doesn't excuse me from the human experience of trying to work out what i think and um, who i am and actually sometimes that can be even harder because you know i'm in role i'm supposed to be the spiritual one actually you know i have lots of questions i also have the privilege of seeing some amazing things happen which does build my faith i I didn't come from a i didn't come from a christian home so when i started going to church my parents thought it was a kind of rebellion rebellious phase i was going to grow out of were they punks (laughs) nick (laughs) your parents were punks (laughs) i'm gonna show you lot (laughs) you thought you were rebellious (laughs) they 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 were they were completely horrified i can remember being taken out this this, before when i just before i was going to go to theological college they took me out for a meal to try and persuade me not to do it. <laughs> wow. Wow. And um, they're like, do you really want to do this? You know, you're going to have this really bad pay for the rest of your life. <laughs> they were right, actually. The, <laughs> I get. The, the, the older I get, the more I resent that. Anyway. <laughs> that's, that's where your faith um, literally does come in. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. But I have... In some respects, I'm less certain than I ever was. And in some ways, weirdly, I'm more certain than I was. And I, and I feel like, like I'm more in touch with the, with the mystery of God and the sort of sacredness of the universe. I don't know. It's really difficult for me. It's difficult to put this into words. I see God in so many places and in so many people and in so many things that there's a, there's a prayer that some of us are taught to do. It's called the examine prayer. You do it before bed and you look back and you just say, what, when, what am I thankful for today? And what kind of God would have given me that gift? So it could be, you know, I went for a nice walk with my dog and we walked along the River Mersey and I'll go, that was a really lovely walk. And then you ask yourself the question, if, if that was a gift from God, what does that say about the character of God? And that really touches me because I think, you know, some, sometimes we don't directly link the character of God to the things that, that are really good in our lives. And I think that yeah. shows the character of what God's like. And that kind of thing really keeps me going. But do I like, and I've got this rock solid belief. Well, I don't really see it like that anymore. I, I, I just don't. I feel like I'm, I feel more as though 
I'm privileged to be part of an amazing church community. And they hold me. Together we have a faith. It's not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. Together we're a community who have faith rather than it all being about an individual who has a faith. Are you ready for the quick fire round? And these quick fire rounds. Right. Okay. Okay. I've not thought of the answers to these already. So I've got I've got three questions each. When I say a perfect this, what's the first thing that springs to mind? Are you ready for the game? So is this quick fire round in the way you sort of when you give the answer? What you're trying to do is give an answer that's really short and succinct rather than give an answer that's kind of very long, very drawn out. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? I, it, I know exactly it... what you mean. <laughs> there's, there's a tinge of irony in that question there, isn't there? Uh, a little, yeah. <laughs> Go on, sorry, quick round. Quick, quick fire round. I'm not, I'm not looking for an explanation. <laughs> I'm just looking for an answer. <laughs> right. You've already answered this one, Phil, so oh, you can shit. probably skip this oh, one, right. but you, can, you yeah. can play along if you want. Yep. <laughs> the perfect song. Dave? Oh, it's me. Oh, my goodness yes. me. Perfect song. First thing, what springs to mind? Abba, go on. Well, it's Dancing no. Queen. It, oh, no, no. Uh, Faithless. Some Anything by Which Faithless. One? I can't get no sleep. Yeah, without a doubt. That one. Absolutely pure okay. class okay. in any situation. Yeah, yep, pure class. You can forgive them the double negative in the uh, in the in the title. <laughs> I can get some sleep. <laughs> I can sleep. <laughs> I can sleep. Du, 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 I can't du, sleep. Du, du, du. I, I can sleep. Anyway, yeah. Uh, okay. So if I wasn't going to drop Blue Monday, yeah, I'd go very very distantly in a totally different direction, and I would say Needle and the Damage Done by Neil Young. Wow, which no is idea. a beautiful piece of music. Beautiful piece of music. I'll leave you no. to look that one up. Okay, yeah. Put I it in the show notes later. There we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, three songs come very close to perfect. The closest thing to not perfect. Not band again. God, please. Well, not it's band-aid. already gone. As it? it is, it's, it's beautiful. That song. Leave it alone. <laughs> uh, teenage kicks. Yes, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Your mate Fergal. <laughs> yeah. So teenage kicks will be mine. If I could, if I could criticize it, this it just is, needs this to be longer. Well, no, because but it's. Th- that's I can't think of anything of better. Yeah. In terms like of your, like, like your answer. Yeah, <laughs> like quick, quick fire. What is quick fire? Good point. Thanks. For, thanks for pulling me up on that one. Okay. I know. Um, buggers that do that. Perfect meal. What's your perfect meal? Not necessarily your last meal. What's the perfect meal for you? Oh, I guess I'm going to pick the same one, mate. Jacket spud, salad, cheese, and beans. Happy days. That's all I need. Ooh. Like it. Yeah. No onion. <laughs> no onion in salad's no good, is it? It's raw and horrible. Uh, I mean, again, though, what I've said before, a nice steak. Yeah, bang. Steak, bang on. chips, bit of a treat. All good, you know. Like I said, that's good balance there. Protein and and starchy carbs. I like what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I've not actually thought about this. I regret even thinking about (laughs) even asking the question. I'm going to say tarka dal and rice. Oh, yeah. I like a dal. I like a dal. Yes. Yes. I'm not going to explain it because you pulled pulled me up on my own. Anything from Bundabust. Oh, don't stop. (gasps) Okra fries. <laughs> For our listener, salivating right now. Can you edit that bit out where, where the word saliva drips onto my microphone? Um, favorite place, not favorite, perfect place. A perfect place. Your perfect place. Anything spring to mind? Scotland. Oh, go on. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scotland. Glentress. Glentress, yeah, Scotland. Big, place, big place. Yeah. Glentress, Scotland. Glentress. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Mine was probably similar, uh, maybe. Uh, Betsy Coed in Snowdonia, oh, Wales, God. which is a lovely little place, a lovely scenic, amazing place. Oh, Sorry. Awesome. Or maybe Sardinia, Sicily, you know, Sardinia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, Here yeah, we yeah. go. Andy, quick, give yeah. us yours before we yeah, go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> Anywhere in Italy. Yeah. I, I'm, I, 
Don't say Oldham. Right, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a guest joining us today. He's an old friend of mine, and uh, anyone that um, listens to the podcast will know his music because the first sort of six notes of the podcast are from a track we recorded many years ago called Rubber Bear. And Tom Chapman is the, pl- the, is the guy playing bass on that. And Tom is also, uh, his sort of day job, as it were, is a uh, bass player with the mighty New Order. Thank you, Bosh. 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 <laughs> yeah. How good is that? Someone's got to do doom, it. Doom, 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 doom. Nice. Tom, what Phil probably didn't tell you is we've we've stolen some of your music. <laughs> well, it sounds like it. Oh, I've got, I've got not, permission. You know, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Oh, shit. Look, I can feel a solicitor's letter being drafted even as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Cease and desist. Show me the royalty, boys. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I moved from France as well to Manchester because I wanted to sort of make music. You know, I'm, I'm half French, half British, and I grew up in France. And and I decided at the age of 20 that um, France was not for me. So for, well, let's say that the music didn't really appeal to me in France very much, but I, I liked it. Uh, yeah, I was never a fan of, I, I was never a big fan of uh, Johnny Halliday, but... Um, no, I like Manchester music, so I thought, well, I'll move to that to Manchester. It seems a good place to to start. And funny enough, it, it, when when I started making music in Manchester, you start meeting other people who've moved to Manchester as well for the same reason. Like our friend Frank, you know, he came from Germany because he he liked a certain ratio and uh, a new order, you know. So uh, yeah, so it was it was a uh, it's a good. Well, thing. that was it. Yeah, I was on a mission. Let's say. So you've got German Frank and French Tom. That's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He calls me mustard and I we... call him sausage. Very original, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's quality. <laughs> mustard and sausage, yeah. eh? That's... Now, you see, there's a band name. There's a band name. We should... <laughs> if we'd have thought of that mustard one instead and of rubber sausage. bear. <laughs> <laughs> mustard and sausage hey that's our solo project Tom that's a solo oh, project yeah. come on mustard and sausage you heard it here first <laughs> yeah yeah nice. but I do remember when we used to sit and listen to records in the flat it was kind of like when records we'd still listen existed, to all sorts yeah. of stuff yeah it re- yeah, shit, yeah yeah and it'd be like I always remember thinking like Tom was like this massive Smiths fan and I was this massive New Order fan <laughs> So, you know, it was just this kind of really crazy thing when I think we met up for a pint, well, 12 years ago or whatever, and you said, look, I've got something to tell you. I think Bernard's asked me to be in New Order. (laughs) And it's like, wow. You know, it really was like just to reflect and see that, you know, you'd come on, you'd sort of stuck with it, you'd made those sacrifices like you said, and you'd got there. Yeah, yes. And then I don't think I realised at the time what it, it quite meant as well because I'd been working with uh, with Bernard Sumner and, and Phil Cunningham and Jake Evans in a band called Bad Lieutenant before. And that was kind of a sort of initiation, if you'd like, to playing in New Order because we were playing a lot of uh, Bernard Sumner's sort of back catalogue, if you like, with, you know, songs from Electronics, some of the stuff he did with the uh, Chemical Brothers. But then, you know, when, when the transition happened to sort of play with New Order, I didn't quite understand what it meant, really, until we were booked to do a, a festival in, in South America, in Brazil, and we flew out there and then we played in front of, 30,000 people, and I thought, well, well, I think uh, this is now going to be very different for me. I think my life's going to change <laughs> mm. as a musician. You know, it was a big step up, you know, and and I thought, well, to be able to experience that, because, you know, before that I'd only played in clubs pretty much or theatres, it was just uh, it was a good feeling that I'd achieved something really as as a musician, you know. And sort of earned it in some way, you know, the transition, the, the journey there was difficult and there was a lot of sacrifice 
difficulties along the way, but it had been worth it. You know, it was great. It was good. And I'm still sort of here playing with them to this day. And what a ride it's been, you know, it's been fantastic. So, yeah. So people who listen to this podcast know I'm a, I've gone a little bit addicted to running. I kind of overdo it a little bit. And it's my journey back in to sanity. So that was me going from completely on the brink, almost went into end my own life, to finding running, to raise awareness for suicide prevention. Now I'm doing charity runs all the time and I want to do it all the time. So anyway, long story short, a mate of mine, a mentor called David, cool name for a mentor, that Dave. I bet he's a proper cool geezer. He is. He lives in Lancashire as well, you know, so he's... he's um, Lancashire Dave. Yeah, Lancashire Dave. He's probably probably listening to this recording. Anyway, I was at an event and he he put this book in my hand and it was was called Feet in the Clouds. And I don't know what's it about because it's fell running. He goes, well, isn't that like an oxymoron? Don't you want to stand up? You don't want to fall over when you're running, don't you? Because I had no idea what fell running was. He goes, just read it and tell me what you think. I read it. I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. What a book. Anyway, to your left as I'm looking now is the author of that said book, Richard Asquith. So hi, Richard. Hi there. Hi. Um, thank you very much for asking me on. It's great. Great to be here. Happy days. So, um... I always feel a, a bit embarrassed when I talk to people from further north than me about fell running, because I'm, you can probably tell I'm a southerner, <laughs> and so I shouldn't really be up on the fells at all. But I did spend an awful lot of my life up there, up in Cumbria mainly, and that did eventually form this book, Feet in the Clouds. So that, that book's described as a, as a cult classic now. When I, when I read online, a cult classic. How does that yeah. feel? I don't really know. I don't really know what it means, actually. I, but, I mean, the, the old thing about Feet in the Clouds was it came out about 20 years ago. And when it first came out, it was like considered really weird. And the publishers couldn't sell it at all. They had to sort of just get, you know, I think those Pete Bland Sports used to sell it out of the back of their van at bell races. And that was about it because. Really? Yeah, yeah. I used to go to bookshops and say, I've got this book about fell running. And they'd say, mm-hmm. well, don't understand. How can you have a book about fell running? That's bonkers. But then gradually, you know, it turned out that not just, you know, the hardcore fell running community who were pretty small back in those days, but, mm. you know, it sort of st- seemed to strike a chord with a whole lot of runners and people more like me, the sort of, you know, soft southerners who wanted a bit more adventure in their life or just sort of felt there must be more, more to running than just sort of going around in circles or, you know, pounding the tarmac. 20 years ago, I wrote Feet in the Clouds. That was about fell running, beauty of the mountains, nature, that sort of thing. But also it's very much about trying to achieve things in races. You know, your times mattered. If you hung around at the top of a mountain admiring the view, you wouldn't get the time you wanted. I was very, very outcome focused then. I then wrote another book about, very, you know, about 10 years later, something like that, which was I suppose you might call it my middle-aged book. This was about being in my 40s. I decided that I was getting slower. I didn't really care what I'd, you know, I'd wasted a hell of, I'd, you know, I'd used up a lot of time I could have been spending on my family just trying to get my, achieve things as a runner. I was now much more into just running for well-being. And, it, and so this was a book about how, well, partly it was a book just about going out every day in, in the fields. I'm very lucky I live in the sort of remote bit of Northamptonshire. I just go out in the fields every day when back then I had a dog and my dog would run with me. And it was all about just, you know, threw away my watch. I threw away my running shoes. I just went out and did what the spirit took me, as it were. And Running Free was a book about that. And I reckoned that this was doing me good because I had no idea how fast I was going or, you know, anything like that. But I was really enjoying my running. And, you know, in my 40s, getting into my 50s, you know, I'd get people my age saying, Oh, you must have so much willpower to go running every day. And I was thinking, you know, it's not willpower. It's my daily treat is to go for a run every day. You know, I'd be upset if I couldn't do it. It's like, you know, having a bar of chocolate or something like that. So that sort of saw me quite well through my 40s, early 50s. Then I found that I started getting injured. It was, I mean, it all sort of started off when I suddenly went back on road and did a race and that sort of resulted in an injury. And then one thing led to another. And I started finding that I was not only getting slower, slower, but getting a much, much worse runner. And, you know, I could feel that I wasn't running as well. Things were starting to hurt more. I was going to see therapists and they would say, you know, one physio said, well, you know, there isn't really a cause for this. You're just older. Your, your body's not as strong as it used to be. Um, 
And I found that really depressing. And and, and at one <laughs> point, I remember, you know, I must be nearly 60 at this point, and I had yet another injury, and I was really depressed. I thought, oh, it's going to be weeks before I can run again. I remember my sister saying to me, well, look, maybe you're too old to be a runner. Maybe you should just, you know, face, face facts and, you know, do something else. That, I was really gutted by that. I thought, yeah, this is awful. Because for me, running has, had become this sort of, you know, lifeline to the well-being and, and general peace of mind. So I thought, you know, it's been such a gift to my life and, you know, it's just such a general force for good. I, I don't want to lose this. Do I really have to? So that's when I started just looking around. And I, you know, it didn't initially start off as a book. It was just, you know, me trying to find out what does happen as your body get older. Is there anything I can do? Do you have, does everyone give up when they're 16 and say, well, and then gradually, you know, I got talking to a publisher who was publishing another book and, and it became a book. And when I started doing it, it was very much just going to be a sort of answering the practical scientific questions of what do I have to do to keep running? Because it turns out that, you know, loads and loads of people run in their 40s. I think most runners, a majority of runners are now over 40. But you get to a sort of retirement age. I'm now 62. By the time you get to 65, most of those over 40s will have given up. You know, they've stopped. And why is it? Is it because they didn't really like running in the first place? I, I don't believe that. I think that's that, you know, people go through the same thing that I was going through, that it just all starts to hurt more. You start to have more problems. You get injured more often. You, you know, when you do get injured, it takes longer to get better. And then, you know, you come back and you're a bit weaker. And then you sort of find your, your confidence goes as well. I remember there was, there was one run I particularly remember where I was sort of on Dartmoor with a bunch of mostly much younger runners. And it was we went on this long run. And I was not only – I was sort of struggling to keep up, but not only that, I was just suffering in a way I never had before. I was thinking, God, it's cold. I don't like it. My knees are hurting. My you know, my ankles are hurting. Everything. I don't, I, and I've just become a sort of total weed, really. You know? and, and, <laughs> and so, again, I sort of wanted to see what, if there was anything I could do about it. And, you know, it turned out that there was well, there were things I could do about it. But what I then found was that a book that had started, the original plan was sort of just to do a, a practical guide. You know, these are the scientific secrets, the medical secrets, coaching secrets. I then discovered this amazing world of, of people who run in later life. I just want to ask Dave, Dave, what you've been up to? You've been getting out a lot, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, bit of this, bit of that. Still trying to keep up the... Uh... The mantra of the Potter boys on the Potter, you know, keep pottering, keeping, keep trying to keep, trying to keep my sanity, keep my sanity there. <laughs> sanity. Oh no, we're gonna, I think we'll have to talk about that. How do we keep our sanity and keep moving at the same time? I've got a theory on that. Yeah, and we can start with the theory. It's a bit. My theory is you've got to be slightly insane to be in, to be sane. You need a little bit of bonkersness. Some more than others. But you need a little bit of, do you know what I mean? You need it. It's required. It's required. It's right. A little bit of what? Could you just repeat that bit? A little bit of. <laughs> oh my God, God. The bonkersness. And I can bring the bonkersness and I can also contribute to other people's bonkersness. If, if they're thinking my bonkers level's a little bit down, take some of mine, add it to your bonkers. <laughs> Okay. We all need a bit of Dave Bon Dave's bonkers. We all need a bit of Dave Bonkers. Dave Bonkers. How's the where's Dave? Is da ah Dave Bonkers is it? I'm writing that down as a new nickname, Dave Bonkers. <laughs> Dave Bonkers. <laughs> Sound like one of these like one of these DJs that goes on the road, you know. <laughs> whack, whack, oops. <laughs> oh. Here's Dave Bonkers. <laughs> whack whack oops. <laughs> Oh, good God. Have you got a mallet, Dave? Have you got a <laughs> mallet? No. <laughs> Where's my washboard? <laughs> Where's my washboard? <laughs> Do I need to remind you we're recording a podcast here? <laughs> oh, that, mate, that, well, there's another T-shirt. Put that on the T-shirt list. On the front, I am, and on the back, Dave Bonkers. Dave Bonkers. <laughs> And, and it'll have a little button that whenever you press it, it goes whack, whack. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't don't press Dave Bunker's button. 
If anybody's still listening, well done. <laughs> yeah, fair play. Welcome, oh, welcome to the madness. Oh, should I should I make an intro to my mate, Steve? Should I tell you what? Yeah, this is, I mean, yeah, good, this yeah. will probably take an entire podcast to to explain. You know the, the notable things. So first and foremost, Steve's a friend and neighbour. Lives around the corner from us. I think the first time I was speaking to you, you were dressed as Pikachu. Yes, Alexander Park, more than likely. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, he's, he's this guy talking to me. I, I, I was dressed as one one eight, one one eight kind of thing, like doing a charity fun run. I'm like, Pikachu was talking to me. So how are you doing, Andy? I'm like, I remember it well. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah, how, how are you, Pikachu? Pika Pika. Um, turns out it's Steve Hill, and and we we often like mixing very similar kind of circles when it comes to doing charity work. Um, Steve's a deputy headmaster at a local school. Um, Steve has um, has three initials after his name. Is it MBE? It's an MBE. It is. It is. Wow. It is. Wow. It, it is our first MBE on the show. It is. It is. Wow. It is indeed. I, I'm honoured. I am honoured. It's not a initials I use often, but as I said, they're there. And, and yeah, you know, a very proud moment to, to have received those. But as I say, it's not something. doesn't change anything about what we're about. We get on, we're doing it. And, yeah, it was something, yeah, very special. That's that's what I love to hear. We'll t- talk more about that in a bit. Um, so uh, labels aside, obviously I don't like particularly like labels, but that's a pretty, pretty cool one. Steve's a, an adventurer. He's done some bonkers challenges. I'm paraphrasing from the book, What's Next, Sir? Which is You've got a copy there. I, I like have it. got a copy. Holiday I'm, reading. Yeah, it, it's great holiday reading. Yeah, I'm reading about something going up a, a very, very, very cold mountain and I'm very, very warm whilst reading it. So there's a nice contrast to that. Um, and done so many different challenges, it's unbelievable. Could you, for the for the benefit of our listener or listeners globally and locally, um, could you just list some of these bonkers, crazy challenges? Because I'm not too sure Phil fully understands what these bonkers challenges are because you just... Literally, tip of the iceberg there, isn't there? That was the start. So really, that says that they were starting in 2009. And then in 2010, the following year, it was climbing Mont Blanc, uh, the highest mountain in Western Europe. Um, a bit more technical, crampons and, and the like. And more dangerous, if you like. It's quite a dangerous mountain to climb. Then after Mont Blanc, it was trekking 200 miles to the Sahara Desert. It was a conscious thing of, well, let's try these different terrains, different environments, and then test the body in you know, different, different, as I say, environments uh, around the world. Then it was a husky expedition through the Arctic and then on to climb Mount Elbrus, the highest mountain in Europe, in Russia. Again, all in summer holidays or school holidays. Um, being a teacher is very restrictive um, holiday-wise. Um, after climbing Mount, uh, Mount Elbrus, it was then to run the Mount Everest Marathon in 2014. Was that your first marathon? That was the first marathon. In fact, before that, it was the jungles of Borneo, but that was the first marathon. And that's a big dream of mine is to climb Everest. I'd love to climb Everest, and, and it's on the list, and, and, you know, it's very expensive. And I did some research, and I came across the next best thing, I thought, was to get to base camp, which would be doable um, expense-wise. But as I did my research, I came across an event called the Mount Everest Marathon. Um, it's at the end of May every year. Uh, it coincides with the, the summit, first summit of Everest. And that really tickled my fancy. I thought, oh, that, that sounds fantastic. Running a marathon at Everest, getting to base camp getting all that experience at base camp and then running a marathon back. And you're right, yeah, that was, well, at that point, I'd never run a marathon in my life. Uh, and that was going to be my first marathon. And that really excited wow. me. And, and I was all bonkered many, many times. <laughs> but I thought, I know I can do this. And, it, and it, yeah, it excited me. So, yeah, I did the Mount Everest marathon and it was magical. The whole trek, well, the flying into Lukla, the trek into base camp, spending time at a school though, and then the MLAs, the tending Hillary School. Spending two nights at base camp and then running my first marathon from base camp was, was just epic. And it took me about nine and a half hours to get back to Namji Bazaar. But being my first uh, marathon, Phil, it was a personal best. And, you know, it just you know, nine and a half hours. No matter what time I got, it was going to be a PB. Wow. But uh, it was epic. And it was. It was about enjoying the journey, um, which is important. And that was, as I say, fantastic. And after that, I thought, well, how do you surpass that? How do you, how do you better uh, in the Mount Everest Marathon? Um, and it's your first marathon. And I did more bit of research and got back and then I came across the North Pole Marathon. Didn't know it's North Pole. Marathon in the North Pole. Um, you're touching minus 60 degrees. Oh, um, God. With that. But once I'd seen that, it, yeah, another expensive trip, I thought it wouldn't go. The cedar planted. So, yeah, I got a place on that. And then the following Easter, I found myself flying to Svalbard. From Svalbard up to Camp Barnio. And before I knew it, I was running around the North Pole. 
as you do, uh, and stood at the geographical North Pole, which was magical. To, to be able to stand at the geographical North Pole was, was you know, a primary school teacher from Shaw at the North Pole, I mean, just run the North Pole Marathon. And I'm led to believe many less people have run the North Pole Marathon than climbed Everest. So it's quite a, an exclusive sort of group, you know, of, of people. And that was great. Um, and then coming back from that, it was, well, a, a marathon in the desert. So I went to Jordan to Petra, ran a marathon through the, the Petra Desert, which was, was was great to get the two extremes in, you know, minus 60 almost to plus 40. Uh, and then it got to a point where I felt, well, I've, I've proved I can do, you know, I'm not proven to anybody, but, you know, I've done these these marathons, these extreme marathons, and I, I felt the kids were getting a bit bored of that. You know, it was like, come on, sir, push your boundaries a bit more. You know, you, you, you can do a marathon. Um, so I started doing some research, and, and, and the marathon design really appealed to me. Uh, and, and I actually booked a place, I paid my deposit, but then the dates were outside of school holidays, and it, it didn't work, so I lost that place. But doing some research, I came across the Amazon Jungle Ultramarathon, um, which was a self-supported ultramarathon through the Amazon Jungle. Um, six marathons in five days, carrying a hammock on your back, all your food, anti-venom pump, everything you need to survive in the Amazon Jungle on your back, and as I said, sleeping in the hammock at night. And that was just way out there, way out Triple bonkers, whatever. Um, but once I shared it with the kids, I knew I was, was going to do it. I was very excited about it. And the thought of still getting, you know, killed by anacondas or, you know, Cameron was fighting for them, yeah. More so than the polar bears at the North Pole. Um, and, that, and that was, I mean, ultramarathon, it's just ridiculous. And, and it's about as tough as it gets. But I was up for it. And, yeah, I booked my place. And off I went to the Amazon jungle and had a great time there. And it was... Uh, Pretty brutal. The, the, you know, the talk, the safety talk beforehand by the race director was the curve out there. You know, jungles are designed to kill. And it was just, it, it was. My trainer split. I lost six toenails. I was coming in back end of the pack every single night. I was coming in the middle of the night. I was putting my hammock up in the dark. Ants everywhere. Mosquitoes. You know, you name it. It's all in the jungle, isn't it? And running on wet floors all week and, and sore legs. I'm selling it to you, Phil. You yeah. can't see it. <laughs> But that was that was probably as tough as it got at the time, and 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 it was. But what an adventure to be in the Amazon jungle for, you know, self support for for those you know five days was was epic. And then obviously coming back, and then it was like, well, we're next. Well, on the back of that, I got invited to take part in the Arctic Ice Ultra, same format, six marathons, five days through the Arctic wilderness in winter. Um, so that was the February half term holiday. Um, brutal. Thirty of us started that, and only twelve of us finished it. Um, and bear in mind, a lot of these are, are seasoned. Ultramarathon runners, you know, some of the best in the world. And little old Steve Elf, primary school teacher from Shaw, who's just plods around and just gets on with it. Um, but it's great. You know, you're in good company. And we're all out there supporting, like, you know, as Andy knows, the running community, you know, everyone supports each other, you know, no matter whatever. But, you know, those ultramarathon runners are just bonkers uh, people, totally out there. Uh, but that was great. And then in between that, I took on the Uganda Marathon a few times. So that was, you know, I was going to talk a little bit more about the Uganda, which was, you know, the the catalyst of your life for setting up mm. the, the, the charitable trust. Uh, but going to Uganda and the Uganda, Uganda Marathon a couple of times, but well, five times has happened. Um, and then last summer, I took on the Great North Run, which was running across Iceland, which was nine marathons in nine days uh, from the north and south of Iceland. Right. See, when, when you said the Great North Run then, I thought you dialed it down and were going out of Gateshead or wherever it is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> finally. Come to his senses. Um <laughs> So it, it was, so, so on, on that, and it's just, as I said, lockdown, obviously things were restricted challenge-wise, so it was more, you know, virtual runs and what have you, and just keeping fit throughout lockdown, but so then we're back on now. So it is, it's, it's having adventures, it's going to these remote parts of the world, um, parts of the world that I can educate the children about in school um, through, through visiting these places, but just being out there and, and as I said, pushing those boundaries and increasing those distances and just seeing what, you know, personal level, what, what my body's capable of. And, and, you know, we all often set boundaries on ourselves, don't we, set limits on ourselves and, and you know, as children more than anyone. Mm. Um, but I'm a firm believer that those boundaries don't often, be, you know, they don't exist yeah. in our minds. And unless we push against those boundaries, you know, we don't know what we're capable of. And we're all capable of so much more than we ever, ever imagined. Mm. Uh, it's just about getting out there and pushing, isn't it? And, you know, for me, it's one step at a time. When I had my, whatever you want to call it, meltdown or what you know when my head was in a, in a bad place two of the guys that i used to engage with a lot and you know you know and, and go out with a lot i probably didn't see them for i want to say two to three years i bet it were longer 
you know, I bet it was longer. And even though we were literally, we, we lived in the same area and we may, I might even pass them, you know, in a cat well, they're at work and, and sort like that. There was no engagement whatsoever. And I think they, I think if they were to speak to you, they would probably say it was longer than that. And I think, I can't remember. Mm. And it sounds, you know, I can't remember because at that time it was a bit blurry a bit of a bit of a blur to a, to a certain extent. Uh, and now over the past two, two years or so, we're, we're literally back in touch more than ever and doing some awesome stuff together. And when we talked about it, when we talked about it, we, or we've had a conversation about it and I've tried to explain to them what went on. And I think maybe they get it, maybe they don't get it. But one of the lads actually said to the other lad, he, he, when they spoke about it, said, what's going on with Dave? Where is he? What's he doing? Sort of thing. One of them actually said, listen, don't worry about it. He's just, whatever. He, he said, he'll be back. At some point, he will be back. And I thought, wow. Well, one, they'd had that conversation. And two, that's what's happened, you know. And now, and now I see um, the part of me, as other people out of that crew has dr- drifted off, they're now part of that crew and a part of that core crew do you know what i mean because mm-hmm. they want to do shit they want to get on they want to they're into the same type of stuff that i'm doing you know and it's it's really nice for me not to be the one that's always suggesting stuff out of the crew i was i would normally be the one that going are we doing this are we doing that we're doing this we're doing that you want to do that i'll sort it i'll sort this they do a bit of this they suggest shit now and they also organize stuff and so if we're organised something, they might go right. I'll book the event. I'll book the. I'll book the flights. I'll book this. I'll get this ticket. It's refreshing for me to have to be rather than me trying to pull people along or being the guy that moves people along to have other people in that mix doing that. And that's like wow. It's nice to try and to keep up with that momentum than trying to set my own, set the momentum myself. Hmm. Because you spend your working life in that mode anyway, don't you? Sort of knocking heads together, bringing people together, making stuff happen. So it's kind of nice just to kick back and go, you know what? Someone else is going to play a role. I don't have to, you know. It's incredible. It's incredible. Mm. If you say, if for, some, for someone to come along and go, that's when we're doing it, be there then, send us, it, it, I, send us the cash for that. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> no, not a problem. This is really, really, really yeah. nice for me. And it yeah. also feels like somebody yeah. somebody else is is as interested, you know, the part of it is yeah. quality. Get that. Something you mentioned about, you just mentioned it then, Phil, about, you know, in your day-to-day work life, obviously that's what you might do, Dave. Um, I personally feel now because I'm not part of a, a work team, there are still gaps in those people I spend time with at the moment because, and a lot of people I, I speak with who are self-employed or the business owners or the leaders, for example, their, their circles are quite small, even though, you know, it's by our own choosing kind of feel like there are some gaps in those dynamics, which used to be there. So you get friendships at work. They're not as deep as you, as you said before, Phil, you know, they're not as, you know, they're not as important to you, but they're still friends. They still kind of form that role of, of or friend where you can have a, a non-judgmental conversation with them. But there's also peers as well, which I, I kind of feel is that there's a, there's a big big thing missing there for me, just as a bit of self-disclosure. Something I used to get out of employed life in particular, I used to spend a bit of time with colleagues, if you like, or people who were maybe slightly better than me at their job role, so I could learn against learn against them or compare with them. You know, just the kind of people you can contrast with and, you know, they, they give you ideas and, you know, it kind of pushes you a little bit out of your comfort zone. I don't get that as much now. And this is why I've been putting a lot of thought into the, some of the people you spend the most time with. And I've been reflecting on it, been writing some names down. Obviously, I spend a lot of time with Nick and my wife. You know, I, I do a bit of running with some guys from Running Club and Triathlon Club. That's pretty cool. There's you two, but we don't see each other in the flesh that often. I think there's something missing there. Um, and in terms of close friends, my mate Dan, my mate Ben, I see him periodically, but it's, as we said before, it's like a, it's a transaction. You know, but we have to book it in. I'm literally sending calendar invites to my friends and that mm-hmm. doesn't feel right at all. It's like, you know, you know, we've got to book it in. And there's definitely something missing there. I like to have... 
like to have not just, I don't mean colleagues, but peers, those people around me who you choose to spend the time with because you're kind of semi-obliged to. Yeah, I mean, on on sort of peers and colleagues, I, you know, I do, I do miss the dynamic of having a team around me, but mm. I think one of the things when I started back working for myself, a part of the process was just, it was, it was in the middle of, pandemic so I like everyone else was sat behind a computer and a and a you know video camera and I got into this routine of reconnecting with people I'd worked with over the years people I, I like and hence picking back up with Dave really you know and that has become my like peer network you know a, a bunch of mm. people that I'll maybe once or twice a week I'm checking in with people that I might not necessarily work with, but I have some brilliant conversations, you know, and, and their thinking challenges mine and, and hopefully vice versa. And you learn so much. Conversation this morning was great and we're kicking around a few ideas for projects. I've picked up a few sort of platforms of interest. That, so I think, I think that's there for the taking and I think it's better I think it's better being in this position where you kind of work for yourself and you've got access to a network of people rather than being in an organisation where an organisation has its own, you know, yeah, what would you call it? You know, a, a kind of almost an in culture and inertia, yeah. you know, it just, this is what we do and it's all, this is our language and these are the, we're all driven to the same goals. And, and actually I think, connecting with people from all different backgrounds is just for me that's that I, I get yeah so much more out of that than all making chit chat with someone over a cup of coffee and a banana you know or keep mint mint tea and a banana we've brought back cod number four he was on the bench before now he's coming in as star striker our good friend the guy who taught us about being tender as a man Jindy, good to see you, my friend. Good to be back with you guys. Thanks for having me back on. How are you? I am, um, as we were just talking about, great but exhausted uh, for for reasons we'll, we'll get into, I'm sure. But uh, And those two things are connected. Mm. I've never been so happy to be exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? It's, using the word connected, what connects us now, which is different to last time, is that we're all now fathers parents yes congratulations jindy thank you thank you yeah so we're, we're almost six weeks in uh our baby boy arrived almost six weeks ago and it's been a it's been a crazy journey it's been a wild ride already we've spoken recently offline about things that really concern us as, as parents what's really interesting now is looking at us from can kind of right to left jindy you're at the beginning of that journey and i'm not not quite at the end of that journey but I've got a completely different set of experiences over the last few months to to you, and they won't frighten you. They just embrace it. You know, it will just it will just probably make you more enthusiastic about being a dad. And Phil and Dave, you know, we, we've all got our own experiences. So I thought we'd be really good for us to be open, honest, candid, and just talk about this this journey. So, um, I, I, first question I've got to to everyone, but maybe starting with you, Jenny, because it's because it's fresher to you what was that feeling like when you first saw your baby yeah uh it's it's as you guys will probably know it's a difficult one to put into words um i, I mean without going into all the details the, the the birth didn't quite go to plan we were planning a home birth we had to transfer to hospital there were a few minor complications uh well i say minor i mean for my wife it was really really intense um so, so when he arrived, there was just this overwhelming flood of all sorts of emotions. Um, and, and it's hard to put words to them. Um, but, but what I can describe is that I just was overcome with all sorts of emotions and, and, and burst into tears. Um, he was a week overdue. So, um, you know, that skin that babies have that takes a while to kind of slough off when they're born. Most of it was already gone. So he kind of was born looking like this sort of perfect little human being, you know, with this, with this kind of shiny, smooth skin. 
And I was just looking at him, you know, and even as I think about it now, I can just feel this emotion. I was looking at him on the table on the blue cloth that he'd been born on. And I just, all these emotions came flooding through me. And I just burst into tears. And, and every time we had a few doctors and people coming in and out, every time someone came back in, I just started crying again because they'd been so central to, to the journey we've been through. So, um, it was just, yeah, I think that's the, that's the only way I can do it justice because it's hard to put mm-hmm. into words. What was it like for you, Phil? Well, I've got, my senses were really heightened. Like, that, like you know, but the overwhelming sense I've got from Daisy's birth is the smell of beef and onion hula hoops on my fingers never expected that answer (laughs) or barbecue beef or whatever they are because in a similar way and that sounds so flippant but it is kind of weird and it's sort of true obviously i remember like her being book born but it's almost like beef flipping hula hoops (laughs) because same you know we we, we'd it hadn't worked to plan um you know we didn't we'd been in for Gosh, I'm sure something like 14 hours and, you know, um, the original idea was to have uh, her fruit, fruit, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a pool, in a water pool, and that didn't happen. And, and Daisy, you know, she got herself a little bit stuck on the way. And, and then that, you know, all of a sudden got quite scary, really, because the, the point you made there, Andy, is like, you know, you know, they're, they're a, women are amazingly able to do this insane thing and not die in the process. Where it was, you know, only perhaps a couple of generations ago, the complications that you know we, we, we've talked about there may well have and and ended ended in a fatality. You know, so it's amazing, yeah. And but like I said, <laughs> I. Because I'd not eaten, and so very wisely had, had packed, a, you know, some stuff for us to eat, and, and it was beef and onion hoops. <laughs> so, um, but again, just you know, you know, it's like the moment that just sort of the moment it explodes, like the moment, like oh, you know, all of a sudden it, it could feel like an hour or a day of stuff going on. Um, and, you know, that's because you're taking everything in, aren't you? It's like, oh, my goodness, there's a little person here that's joined the world and we're part of it. And it's just incredible, yeah. isn't it? I didn't cry, though. I thought I would, but I didn't cry, which I don't know. I just did what I felt it right in my heart, as I'm sure we all did. And and I, just playing that back now, I've got that same feeling there. It's incredible. It's amazing. You can still incredible. relive it as well. Mm. Do, you, do you still like? Yeah. It? Every time I open, a, every time I open a packet, beef and onion. Beef and onion. Is that what's David's middle name? Is it beef or onion or beef hula? and and? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! No, I, 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 I love that. It's, it's amazing what little details remember because our our senses are heightened. It's the first time we've got that experience. Um, it's just it's just amazing those those memories that we have, isn't it? Dave, you've you've got two. So what was that like? Birth one, birth two. What was it like for you as a dad? First of all, it's a while ago, boys. Uh, sixteen, uh, well, sixteen, nearly seventeen years ago, and thirteen years ago. So, and sometimes I struggle to remember what I did last week, let alone all that way back. It was, I get better, maybe similar, you know, with both of them, more so with Josh, things didn't, things didn't go to plan uh, on either of them. Uh, Max is probably a bit easier than Josh was, but even though it was, it was, it was a mad time, as in, you know, the whole experience is a bit like, boom, you know, boom. My life outside of it was pretty chaotic, so it was quite peaceful. If, if do you know what I mean? It was quite a peaceful and surreal experience. The one thing I absolutely do remember, and we spoke about this the other week, is on both of the boys the night before they were born, and this one we didn't plan this. On both nights, 
we went to the same Thai restaurant and ate the same Thai meal the night before, just out of absolute pure coincidence. And then it was, uh, and then it was at a similar time in the evening, I believe, where it was mission on. It was just like I can't believe I we didn't plan it or anything like that. It was just like, do you realise we went to the same Thai restaurant and we ate the same thing on the same night? So obviously, you know, like five years, uh, five years, three, three and a bit years, years different. So that I'll always remember that. But I just remember it being like, even though it was mad, uh, it was very very calming as in literally like the re- all this other thing that's going on in life is gone and we're in this room and this is where we are and that's all that matters you know it was it was as if the noise switch of everything else had been silenced and it had gone you know wow i'm sure you know don't get me wrong i don't believe suzanne was at peace but my, my, my <laughs> was, was a bit more peaceful and also also how good a cup of tea and a slice of toast is tasted afterwards. Do you know what I mean? And that's what they offered Sue. I just ate it. They, uh, they offered Suzanne that, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm just like, Get that yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. How about you, Andy? What, what were your experiences? It was, it was it, yeah, it was, it was different. For both, I've got a boy and a girl. Brandon is now 22 and Kirsten's 20. And they are both completely different, and that's relevant to the birth. The births of them both were completely different. Um, Brandon was absolutely bang on time, and he always is, and he's, he's remained punctual for the rest of his life. You know, everything you've asked of him, he does. He does it exactly the way it should be done. And Kirsten was late, and that's kind of carried on as well for the last for the last twenty years. Um, in in terms of the 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 experience, obviously, the birth of Brandon was a very first experience of of being there and because Nikki wasn't quite ready and and it happened very quick and I won't go into more detail but a very quick birth can be almost as painful as a very slow birth things happen to the body that not meant to happen that quick so I helped deliver Brandon at hospital so when we got there to drive it incredibly quickly because she's like it's all right I'm not it's okay I'm not going those contractions were seconds in between each other. You're going into labour. She goes, no, no, it's all right. I've been in touch with, <laughs> get in the back of the car quick. And we just, emergency. So we, I, I drove as quickly as I could without her ripping my head off. We're over every little bump on the way down there. So I got there, pulled up, handbrake on, <laughs> screech, got, got a trolley in there. And when they went out to get the, the nurse, I was literally down the business end helping to deliver Brandon. And just, and I don't know what happened. I just, I thought I'm going to melt and just pass out or, you know, I'll become an emotional wreck and I just became a doctor almost. I'm going, go on, stick your, stick your chin into your chest, push. We've got, we've got something coming through here. And I just, it's like, it's like playing a character in ER. And then because it happened so quickly, they, they gave the baby, Brandon, to me and I took my top off and we went, you know, skin to skin. It was the most beautiful moment I've ever experienced. It was just, I can't, again, you said, Jindy, you can't put it into words everything changed. Everything stayed the same, but everything changed. The way I saw everything, it was different. And Kirsten's birth was, for God's sake, how long have I got to be in this hospital for now? I mean, it feels like for about a week. How long is this going to happen? So she got induced eventually. So that was a completely different experience, but a way more controlled and one that we were relieved to, you know, to hold her at that point, rather than Nikki being in, you know, a lot of, a lot of pain. She was in less pain this time. I'm talking in comparison. It's the kind of pain that any of us couldn't tolerate mm. anyway. Well, sometimes you just know when something works, that, that dynamic when things click, there's no, there's no, it, no, there's no competition. It's just open and it, it just flows beautifully. And to have that is quite rare. It's, it's quite rare. But that, that goes back to some of the, some of the episodes that we spoke about with your crew and you have a big crew and your crew gets smaller and then you, you get certain little sorties that happen and people that come together and get on and do shit because it just works. And the fact that it just works because it works, that culture is, is that that's why for me, it's so good for me. There's, there's, there's no, there's nothing there 
there's no there's nothing that we never do anything or talk about anything that we come away from and go oh he's a bit a bit of a dick hasn't he or can you believe he said that or it, ever 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 and when do you ever get that real world when do you ever yeah. get that mm. you know <laughs> you, you don't yeah, and true. we do it here yeah. in an environment that goes that goes everywhere so that's it that's just class that's class and the fact it, it it affords the opportunity for me for ongoing discussions about real day-to-day shit that goes on to reflect on that to come up talk around it to come up with solutions and life hacks and things it's just ace it's just ace and what the other thing and i think this could be a topic for season four and that's legacy when we talk and think about legacy, for a lot of people, it's it's about what they leave behind from an, an estate of money and possessions and things like that. I can't give a shit about any of that. When I'm gone, I want people to remember me for 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 the little bits that of difference that I've made to their life. Remember when Dave did this, or they, you know, or we had that conversation with Dave, or we did that. In theory, what we do here will live on forever. Unless someone takes out connectivity, this will be here forever. None of my family that have gone prior to that, you know, you've got videos, you know, of family stuff and things like that, and you may have photos. This is something that my kids can listen back to or friends and family can listen back to where I've talked about my entire life. It's a documentation to a certain extent of, of the shit that's gone mm. on and shit I'm going through. How cool is that? That is like, it's when, amazing, I, when I think about it like that, it makes me single. Do you know what I mean? And even, I've thought about that when I'm gone, I do like the idea of, you know, providing, you know, Nick the Vicar can sort, I can have my Viking funeral to push me out to sea on that, on that <laughs> raft, set fire to it. And then we have a big Goa-style beach party on the beach with a barbecue and stuff like that. Mm. But then on my gravestone, I want to. You can. I'm going to have a link to my uh, to my link tree, and you'll be able to. <laughs> you'll be, yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, this is the thing. This is it, boys. If you want to, oh, what's it? Right, go and listen to Talking Cod, and I'll be long gone, and it'll still be playing out. That's fucking cool, guys. That is cool as fuck, man. Yes. You know, you know. Still be with us. Still be with exactly us. Exactly that. Coming in your ears. Literally, Dave yeah. Bonkers. Dave Bonkers. Yeah. yeah. There's my there's my vague <laughs> summarization, boys. There you go. There you go. Legacy. Well, that, that was that was pretty. Legacy. That was, very succinct for you, that Dave. Yeah. So it's like this was like an audio journal. Yeah. In that respect, anyway. Without that's a doubt. Yeah. Think. That's yeah. Definitely. I love yeah. it. Well, I'm super excited for this for this next season. Um, can't wait, can't wait. Going to look at your Trello board, Dave, the one that I was kind of hoping you'd look at before the show and tell us more about it. Going to look at your Trello show, your Trello board, and then we're going to work it out properly. Um, it's all there. Yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time for a break. It is. It is. It is. It is. Um. So yeah, thank you, thank you. Didn't really know what we're going to talk about today, other than let's wrap the season up and. There you go. Could talk forever. But I need a wee, so I need to go. Um, That's middle age. It is. Growing old disgracefully. The countdown's on. Countdown's on at the minute. He'd be itching to go and, go and do the number round. Dom. No, no, I don't. I got 25. <laughs> 679,000, 1.2 trillion billion million, 6197. <laughs> Work that out, Rachel, if Rachel's still on there, whoever it is that does it. <laughs> Have you got that? Have you got that? Because <laughs> I'm Dave Bonkers. Well, We're definitely on counting down on borrowed time now, aren't we, Dave? Do you want to talk us out of the show? Yes, yes. Class will be back early September. Is it early September? We've said early September. Yeah. There are yeah. this episode will be out next week, followed by we believe it's normally every other week, but we've got three free wrap-ups of season one, two, three to come out, which will probably come out each week. Listen to it as always. 
continue to subscribe, give us a like, give us a share, tell people about the pod, get them to listen to it. If you want to get in touch, drop us an email at hello at talkingcod.com. Keep the faith, keep the faith, guys. I'll be back. We'll be back. Thanks, guys. I love you both. <laughs> See you on the other side.